This week's episode of the Getting to Know podcast is brought to you by Nina Connection Groups. Connections are employee resource groups created for employees by employees. Interested in creating a group or joining our women's or young professional ERG? Contact communications at nina.com for more information. Hey everybody, it's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Getting to Know podcast. Today I'm joined by the Vice President and General Manager of our filtration business coming to us live from Germany, Mr. Christoph Stenzel. Christoph, thanks for joining us today on the Getting to Know podcast. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks, and thanks for having me. We tried it many, many times, but finally, finally we'll make it today. Finally made the calendars work so we can, we can bring you to our listening audience. So again, appreciate that time. So the vice president and general manager of the filtration business, what's a day in the life for you look like or feel like, or is there such a thing as a normal day in the life for you? So as you said, basically two roles. So I try to split my time between the two facilities to spend some time in Brookmule. Usually it's two days in a week uh, because traveling didn't really come back after after COVID hit us and, and three days in, in the filtration facility in Weidach. And usually that's split up with a lot of meetings um, with the German folks in the first half of my day in the morning and then with U.S. folks or customers in different time zones in, in the afternoon. And recently, more to face-to-face meetings with colleagues, which is good. Um, that is the element coming back, and that is what we miss the most during COVID time. So actually, there is no normal day. Usually, there is always something new up, so it never gets boring. And, and that is what really excites me about the two jobs that I have. So here in the U.S., when I talk to people about Nina, they assume... We're a paper company. I go into things like, well, we also have filtration media that we produce. And uh, how do you explain what it is that you do when you walk down to the neighborhood barbecue or you're out with you know, friends? I, I try to use some real life examples, what we do as a company and what we do in filtration. I mean, you can talk about filters. Recently, you can talk about, let's say, clean air, which is on everybody's mind during, uh, due to the pandemic situation. But also in a Nina context, I can point to, let's say, fancy papers. I can talk to wrapping. I can talk to basically wine labels. That's a universal thing to do because <laughs> normally everybody likes, likes that. So you can speak about some great examples that people can find in the and the end consumer base, which definitely helped to understand. And then you can talk about, you know, what's, what's your part? It's the paper, it's the backing in that specific example. So how long have you been in your current role? In the current role, actually, I'm general manager just since uh, January 1st, when, when Armin Schwinn passed over the responsibilities to me. And um, uh, since two years now in the, in the P&L role for filtration, I'm with the company for, for many, many years now, since 1998, in, in, in various different roles. I started up as an R&D engineer in the Brookmill plant here in, in Vishal's territory, now Taben Abrasive, and then I vanished out into, into the filtration side after the first five years. So technical background, like an engineering degree? Yeah, so I studied uh, chemical engineering in Aachen here in Germany. And this, this, the final te- uh, thesis in my, in my work brought me basically to paper. I did that at a company that is well known to our friends in the Netherlands. That's company Zeal. I think that's, they are a competitor to the Cold Nova guys. And this was my first 
let's say, exposure to papermaking. And from there, I, I made it into, into Gesner at that time. Uh, Nina was not uh, in the picture then. And I think the, the, the thing that excites me, usually if you, after studies and you have a technical background, you go either to R&D or into applicational engineering. And the, and the role that was offered here was a blend between those two. And that, that makes it kind of interesting because in R&D, usually a lot of the work is, let's say, basic research. And a lot of that goes to the, to the trash bin, unfortunately. <laughs> Not all ideas succeed. So also have an exposure to, let's say, applicational engineering, which is more like go see and do and is what's, what that, that attracted me the most about the role. So your background must give you a unique perspective on all things innovation, I would assume. Yeah, definitely helps understand it. And I think the idea initially was when I moved over into the sales world, I went and ventured out in all the crazy markets, like very early on in Asia and into, let's say, South America. And the desire was not to send multiple people to explain, let's say, both sides, the commercial and the technical side. And therefore, my, my background definitely helped in, in, in those years explaining what our products can do and whatnot. At that time, we started with little grades and especially infiltration. I mean, the, I mean, we have a family of, of grades now with the different composite grades and so on. So that is now by far more, far, far more grades than we, I started off uh, way back then. So it's getting more complicated, which is good because that gives you a point of differentiation and, and creates selling arguments for our products, right? How challenging is it coming from the technical R&D engineering background to go on to the, the customer-facing role? So it sounds like you, you were able to jump in enough so you didn't have to send multiple resources, but was that a, was that a big leap for you? Mm, not, not really. I think what the, the thing I always liked the best was, let's say, interacting with people, interacting also with diff different people. So during my study, I hardly think of a, a moment where I didn't have a part-time job or to, to let's say, I, I worked in a bar, I worked in a workshop, I worked in a mechanical engineering office. I did so many things and I get to know different people, different characters. So that 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 is, I think, something that suits me well. And that, that definitely helped me. So I was missing this, this people's thing in early on in the R&D role because at that time in Brookmull, it was more like internal. And filtration always had the, let's say, the thought of, okay, also exposing the R&D folks more to, to the customer base. Um, and that created additional customer intimacy. So that, that helped. So you start with Gessner in 1998? 1999? Correct. 1998. 1998. 1998. Yeah. Uh, Nina buys Gessner in what? 2006. 2006. And we've been through lots of change and growth as an organization, portfolio-wise and leadership-wise since then. Going back to 1998 till now, walk me through, like what's What's the company felt like? What's been the kind of smell of the place? And, and, and how has that transformed through the years? So I started in 1998. At that time, it was a German company in the process of selling the business to Fibermark at that time. That, they were our owners. So I, I knew that after one month, I got a new business card. And at that time, we became, let's say, American first with an American mother, Fibermark. And um, that was... Also, a quite some time where there was a lot of 
hunger for growth and a lot of different things, which finally didn't end up well. So Fibermark went into chapter 11, which put a certain, let's say, ban on the operations in Germany. We were not, you know, like we were not under chapter 11, but with the, with the parent company in, in some difficulties that also put some, let's say, bans on us in terms of growth and capital and, and what have you. So so the good the good story really, and that changed after Nina bought us for, I think, for uh, a decent amount of money. But also right afterwards, we they freed up cash to invest into our business, into the growth things that we thought of many, many years already that were put on hold, saturator number three, additional capacity in Melbourne, and so on and so forth. So if you come and see the facility hopefully soon, you will see there's, especially in, in the Weidach part, you see an old, let's say a more old part of the location, but also these new spots where you can see what, what came afterwards in terms of investment into the business that helped grow uh, for in double-digit numbers for quite some time. Um, so, so I think that is, that is really the, the, the change that we have seen um, from a, let's say, okay, a little bit cash conservative on, on in the previous ownership due to, let's say, hey, we invest behind growth, we believe the story, we have the, the power, the money to do that. And this is what brought us to to where we are right now. And I think that also with under the new leadership, there is a clear appetite for f- future growth. We have the platforms, we want to grow. And from there, we want to try other things, other segments, not only in filtration, but also with with the other platforms that we have. So you, you mentioned the growth platforms. Um, you are uh, in a really cool spot and that you're leading one of the biggest and most important growth platforms in, in filtration. And we've got all these macro trends, as you mentioned early, earlier, clean air, you know, just put that out there, people will understand that. We've got all these macro trends in our favor there. Now I talk to a lot of people, again, going back to, hey, what do you do? I talk about Nina and they, they say, hey, is, is paper not declining? And I you know, point out, there are these businesses that have these macro trends behind them. Does that add a level of pressure? Is that added a level of excitement? Like how does the team react to us kind of clarifying roles in the portfolio and filtration having, you know, having a big important growth platform identified? So I think what what we when we look at our classical field, which is the auto filtration business, that is still our let's say our biggest single uh, um, segment within filtration, and that is going to quite some changes now with the electrification. So we we put let's say more focus also on other filtration application that is let's say uh, fueled by my macro trends that is in let's say health. Uh, growing population, more awareness about, let's say, health and environment. And that creates, let's say, uh, interesting fields and other applications within filtration. And we are we are now going into HVAC applications and, and we ever did. We explore things in life science. We go into more industrial focused applications and filtration. So help also, let's say, help balance the, the maybe forthcoming challenge that we see on the outer side versus uh, or, or with other segments but also within the let's say transportation segment we see that there's different impacts to depending on you have a car or you're looking at a truck you look at which kind of filtration and there is i think the electrical vehicles are just one step in that direction and more to come 
as as we uh, roll out. I mean, at some point in time, I, there will be some questions about, okay, where do we get the energy from? And then I think also people are looking at, at other fuels that can potentially power a car. And we look also here on where can we make a difference where we can put media, not only for filtration, but also for, I don't know, acoustics insulation or cooling and, and so on and so forth. So COVID has been a pain in everyone's ass. From a business standpoint, you were prepared. You moved quickly into face masks. And actually last year was a very good year for your business infiltration. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we started this this face mask story prior to the pandemic, more for, let's say, a specialty application for a very high efficient loop scarf at that point in time. Because usually, and make no mistake, this face mask business in regular times is let's say heavily influenced by media out of of uh, out of Asia coming in very cheap and where where there's hardly any desire for for performance or you know like and and it's not in in our day in day out life like it is in Asia in Asia it's a thing to protect not only you but the other f uh, people around you here it's just used as we in, in a pandemic situation so we we had we had this this grade in mind and then we put out a family of products. I think the team did a fantastic job in, in not only hitting the, the performance of the media itself, but also, you know, like learning a lot with the product, improving the process, making it better, more efficient, and to, to make sure that we get the most out of the valuable time that we had on, on the Melblon lines. This, this is where the media is coming from. So that was, that was quite a good year, and that helped us through the downside that was that we faced in other businesses, for instance, automotive, that was pretty a harsh stop in the month of April, May, June. But it came big. Uh, it came back quite quick, so that was also good. So switching gears, Christoph, you mentioned you went to university in Germany. I think I know this, but I'm going to confirm. Born and raised in Germany as well. Correct. So I actually am born and raised in the center of Germany more, and so not in Bavaria, in a very small town that is part of a city of Mönchengladbach, a very German word. So actually, I, I grew up on a farm there. So my grandfather was a farmer. So guess what my first dream job was? That was becoming a farmer. Unfortunately, he, he died too early. So and neither my mom or my dad had really appetite to do this. But this is where, where I started. And I, I went to school around Mönchengladbach studied in Aachen, as I said, and then already mentioned that, let's say, my exposure to paper. That brought me into Gessner and into Bavaria. How far are you currently physically located from, from the area in which you grew up? 700 kilometers. Okay, 700 kilometers. Do you still have family back 700 kilometers away? Yeah, all, I mean, my, my wife and I actually know known each other since 1985, so quite a time. And she was also, she's from that area. And all the family is still there. So we live here with our, with our kids in Bavaria. The rest of the family is still up there. Gotcha. So that's where the roots are. Um, tell me a little bit about your wife and kids. So, uh, I mean, the family, the part that I'm proud of the most, uh, as I said, my, my wife, Silke, and our three boys. The youngster just turned 16 last week. He's, he's still in high school. Fabio, and then I have Matteo, who's 19, and Luca, he's 21, and those two are in university studying, um, one in, in Passau, which is also a Bavarian city, and the other one is in Munich. Got it, got it. Yeah, your kids are almost exactly aligned with, with mine. I remember you having, having mentioned that, too. So what do you guys do for fun as a family? 
So fishing now too little, but as a kid, I, I was either on the pitch playing soccer or at a nearby pond chasing fish. But now it's more hiking, running and cycling for the active part. And, and then I like to cook. And then being with family and, and friends, as I said, the, the part that we missed the most uh, recently. But that is coming back, so that is improving. It's good. How how different is the dynamic with, with two of the kids at university now? It's way different now. I mean, um, the, 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 the guy that lives uh, or studies in Munich is, is over for the weekend quite a bit. So it's just a, so we are just the three of us during the week. But the, the youngster starts complaining that he has to stay with his boring parents whilst his two older guys are out and having fun. Honestly speaking, I mean, this entire studying thing is becoming more real or becoming norm, more normal now versus the COVID years. That was all virtual. And I think that is not the reason why you go and study, right? So I think I'm, I'm really happy for them that they can now experience the, the real life of, of being a student. Yeah, I completely agree. There's a whole bunch of kind of different segments of the population, whether it's those heading into university, those first heading into the job market. I've recently heard stories about the babies, like these little kids who have not been socialized in the same way that they'd expect to be. You you can look around and so many are are impacted. And I, I hope we continue this trend where we can get back to something something closer to normal for sure. So your earliest dream was to be a farmer or run a farm like your grandfather was your grandfather your hero was there another hero growing up yeah my grandfather and and my dad i I would say Um, and i mean i was five when my grandfather died so i was i think a little bit too young to really get heard and i couldn't say hey wait uh, (laughs) consider me but but after that i mean once i i was exposed to chemistry and then, I mean, studying something in, in that regards was, let's say, the closest to home. Although due to my, let's say, fishing thing, I also was interested in studying, let's say, marina biology something. But again, in the center of Munich, not so much exposure to the seaside. So yeah, <laughs> that would have yeah. meant, let's say, a more f- fancy place. And maybe that's something that I'll, I'll plan on doing w- once I retire, if, if that is still possible. There you go. So speaking of fancy places, where do you and the family take your your holidays we like go to italy um but we did let's say a, also a cool road trip to the U- u.s in 2016 and then we went to thailand so we 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 swap and and um between europe and and let's say longer trips um we we, we are fortunate to have let's say long vacations here in, in around europe so we can if if you go if you go far distances, you should t- uh, take like two weeks as a minimum uh, because of the flight and jet lag and so on. But usually Italy is a nice place. Basically, the the Italian border is an hour and a half away from here, and then you can go and, and see places over there. It's nice by the sea or in the, in Tuscany or in the mountains. And we we like Italian food, so so that's a, that's a good match then. That is a good match. What's your favorite city in Italy to visit? I like Rome quite a bit. In the first years with Gessner, I spent two weeks there in a in a language course. So I, I had a I, I lived in a student apartment. That was that was quite nice. So you get in you know, like exposure to to the Romans uh, and not only being a tourist uh, driving around Rome on a scooter and going to school. That was quite kind of interesting. So Rome is definitely a very nice city. Where did the U.S. trip take you? We flew into 
Los Angeles and then we drove towards Vegas and from there we did you know like the usual things uh, parks and stuff and then we put the car back to Vegas and flew into San Francisco and then took highway number one down to San Diego yeah and and in like no no more than two days in one spot and the good thing is that was the part of the I, I spent quite some time on the east coast not so much on the west coast so it was like an adventure for all the five of us nothing else but a a printout from booking.com or other things and and we had good experience shitty experience and uh, that that was new to all of us and that made it kind of exciting good time that's great that's great uh what would you say your favorite city for business travel is or has been oh that's a good question it was china for quite some time in the early years because shanghai for instance was very dynamic and you know like you go there once a quarter, then, you know, like what was fancy in last quarter was not fancy anymore in the, uh, and the, the next quarter. But I, I would say that also, let's say, Italian cities are, are quite nice because then you, you have to, the thing with the food and wine and, and, and I can practice a little bit my, my very, very rusty language skills there. Very, very nice. Did you, uh, did you go right into Shanghai when you were just starting to go into Asia. I asked because uh, when I first started going to Asia, I worked with a guy who said, look, Hong Kong will be the great way for you to stick your toe in Asia because it's very westernized and you know all the history. And it, it worked out, right. I think he was right. It was a, it was a nice kind of home base for me. And when I was working at that time, um, that was where our Asian headquarters were. And then I would go out to Shanghai or you know, um, you know, Shenzhen or something from there. Did you go right into Shanghai? Right into Shanghai, but I did the same thing. My wife wanted to get some exposure to Asia and we had friends living in Hong Kong. So I took her there and that was enough Asia or China for her at that point in time. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. good, it's a good introduction yeah. for sure. Uh, just because, you know, just culturally and language wise, it's so, so very different. If you could wave your magic wand and change one thing about our business today, what would it be, Christoph? Right now, I would make this entire raw materials and logistics nightmare disappear. I mean, come on, this is this is not only weighing heavy on the procurement shoulders, it's through the entire organization. And we come right out of COVID into this with full order books. So it, it's really pain, pain in the back for us all. My suspicion is that if you don't have this one for me, this will carry all over into Q2 2022, unfortunately, but this is something that I would change on the spot. It is really amazing to me how, um, I mean, that answer is one that regardless of industry or functional area that someone works in or you know what they do for a living, that answer is so common. It's like everything is just way behind. Yeah. And it seems that, that the entire supply chain, no matter where, is completely out of whack. I mean, everybody hit the, the brakes so hard going into this with the learnings maybe from the financial crisis in 2009-10. And, and this, is, this takes some time to, to restore back to full force. Very early on in uh, building our relationship, you, uh, you said to me in a, in a very nice and respectful way that 
if you ever need someone to tell you the truth, know that I'm here for you, which I appreciate. So this next question, I'm going to assume you've probably already done this, but what would your one piece of advice for Julie be? Or at least, what would your advice for Julie be that you can share with the audience? Because I'm sure you've already given it to her directly. I think that the, the advice that, that I gave her, or let's say the recommendation, if you will, is that if we talk about COVID, and we did it many, many times, we were talking COVID on different levels. And that is simply due to the, let's say, local restrictions and, on, and, and where you are basically we're heading into this pandemic. I mean, you had different rules and, and protocols already in place. You were, for instance, I was talking to you guys and you were I mean, you talked about vacation, going to bars and said, hey, send me a picture basically because I haven't seen a restaurant or a bar for quite some time. So talking about a, a, a situation like the pandemic was not the same like you talk to the even if you talk to the Coldenhofer people or to 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 our friends in in the UK, we were all on different levels. We all called it COVID, but it meant different different things for each of us. And therefore, I said, okay, depending on where we are, we have to be mindful with all the new things that we want to have the people do. And if that is becoming too much, we simply don't get let's say the 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 backup. From, from the folks at the shop floor, if you will, because that's, let's say, one or two over the top already. I think that is a really great, globally relevant, thoughtful, COVID-soaked view of diversity is really what it comes down to, is we all experience things very differently depending on where we are, who we are, what we're doing, who we're surrounded by. We all experience it differently, and, and we're going to have different perspectives, but you're that's 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 a really good point, especially with a lot of our, you know, a lot of our leaders. Though 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 we are fairly well distributed, but but a lot of our leaders sitting in, you know, one country or in in this case, you know, the southeastern United States. So that's 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 a really good point. Yeah, and now we have Olivier and the Itaza team, which is let's say the, also the Spanish folks. They were also in different spots. That is a vacation region, right? So very different. Staying on. The topic of advice, if you were going back to 1998, giving some advice to the younger version of Christoph, not holding back because you don't, what would you say that would help him be even more successful or um, you know, be able to, to work through some of the challenges that the younger version of Christoph would have faced? I think I was very impatient at the beginning of my working career, so I, I think uh, I, I want to too much and uh, the thing that I learned is that you advance in your role there's also let's say valuable time to consolidate the, the new level the the new learning for quite some time before you take on the next steps I think that that is what I learned over time and that there's something that I also try to give advice to let's say other folks in in, in my team that are stepping up in the in the hierarchy also that Okay, if there is something new, don't look for the, let's say, the next one. You can stay dynamic, but give yourself some time also to consolidate. Also, that, that the, the people, you know, like feel you in the new role before you t take on the, the next new adventure in, in your career. No, that's, that's great advice. And that is something. Julie and I have had, had a number of discussions about that. You, you look around and, you know, so often 
we tap certain people on the shoulder and say, hey, we really like you. You like us. We have this new big challenge. Go do this. But if you do that every year or 18 months, they never really get the opportunity to soak it all in and go through a couple cycles and take everything from what they got right and everything from what they maybe got wrong and, and really learn that. So that's, that's, uh, that's a really good point. And it is a, you know, we've got a lot of ambitious people around us. That's a great thing. But kind of finding that balance, I think, is, is really important. Yeah, and we change as an organization. We got plenty of new people. Everybody has new, I mean, all new ideas, which is all good and great. But, I mean, we have to also sequence this and time it wisely. Because I said, we need, we need to, to have, let's say, the people on board to back us up with our ideas. Otherwise, it won't fly. So 23, almost maybe 24 years with the organization through acquisitions, through different leadership, through changes in, in the portfolio. What keeps you here, Christoph? As I said, I mean, n n n there's no, no day is like, like another day. There are always new challenges. When I finished, I, I did an apprentice right after school. So I worked for three years before going into the university. So I have a job as a lab assistant. And then I quickly calculated how many years to retirement with the same job. That was too much for me. So I also like let's say change and, and uh, to keep it exciting. And that, that, that works for me nicely. Now I, I got the additional responsibility in Brook Mill, which I, I started here. So it's like, you know, like the first baby steps, you, I never lost sight on what's going on here, although I was in the filtration part. So new challenges. And, and I think there is a lot of good opportunities ahead of us now with, let's say, venturing out into other filtration applications. That is something that, that keeps me here, basically. Well, Christoph, at the end of every Getting to Know podcast, we ask our guests three specific questions. I'm going to hit you with those three questions now. The first one is, what is always in the Stenzel family refrigerator? And number one, with three boys, a lot of stuff to begin with. <laughs> three teenagers always hungry. But no, I mean, fruit, vegetables, cheese eggs the usual stuff and sometimes for the adults there is there's also a, a good glass of wine or a beer in the fridge i must say very nice very nice second question amongst those who know you well christoph what would you say you're most famous for i would say my humor that is something that I, I like also. I, I like to watch, let's say, movies just for the laughter. And I, I, I have great fun watching those. And I think I gave that a little bit to my middle son, who is basically now also venturing out in, into acting. So I, I, I like, I think the, the humor piece is what, what people would point to. That's cool. That's great. Great thing to be known for. All right, last question for you, sir. What would you say you are most looking forward to right this very moment? Believe it or not, let's say the, the business travel is, is coming back. And after, I don't know, since I haven't traveled since March last year. And, and that comes along with meeting and discussing with people face to face. And, and that is, I, I think, very valuable. And, and talking to, to people outside of a time slot and not in front of a camera. I think that is something that we all look forward to. Let's say a new normal past COVID or may, may be with COVID. I think that is that is what, what I, I'm looking forward to right now. Yeah, That'd be a tough one to argue with. I, I, I like that as well. 
Well, listen, Christoph, I really appreciate you taking time out of your out of your busy schedule to to spend some time with us on the Getting to Know podcast. I've enjoyed getting to know you some. I'm certain the uh, listening audience will as well. Likewise, thanks thanks for having me. Happy to. For those of you in the listening audience, thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed getting to know Christoph a little bit, and we'll talk to you again in two more weeks. Mm-hmm.